folks, and welcome to the Game Buzz Podcast, episode 8. Yes, I'm Matt. I'm Carl. And let's get straight into it, because as you know, it's time for Switch Watch! I've got to say, I do like the new music that we've got for it. It's, it's very nice. It kind of sets the tone that we're about to get serious on the Nintendo and its Switch well, now watching. Thing. Like we never know what those crazy cats at Nintendo are getting up to. Like like one week everything will be fine. The next week they'll have pulled like a massive U-turn on something or managed to screw something up with regards to this incredibly <laughs> interesting but fundamentally flawed console. Um mm. this week though, uh <laughs> it leaked. And by it, it did? I mean I mean the entire console leaked. <laughs> <laughs> like, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know if Nintendo have had very stern words in the following days, you know, with their retail partners, but, um, <laughs> yeah, someone just mailed that thing. Yeah, I, I, you know what I think it is, much like with all of, um, with Apple's devices, it, it was a, it was some sort of barista. They're sneaky. They managed to get their hands on everything. Right, you know, you <laughs> just... <laughs> leave a device in a coffee shop and yeah the baristas get them yes and then they start showing it off to everybody so yeah it's the baristas you you watch out don't don't you take your things to coffee shops that's the lesson from all of this that's what <laughs> i feel anyway um but yes when someone actually did a video of the the actual console showed it off in all of its tiny glory and uh, we got to see the ui in action yeah i'm not gonna lie it's a really boring video it is. It's a really boy. It's a guy one-handedly operating a console and fumbling about with the Joy-Cons in a, in a pretty hilarious manner. It's, I mean, it's, it's the most awkward video we've seen this week. I mean, it looks it looks very Nintendo-y. It's very clean. It's very white. Yeah. I mean, there's nothing there. There's almost there's almost no. nothing there because, of course, you know, the Switch is launching uh, well before it, it should be and very few services are actually going to be um, operational. Mm-hmm. It's quite sad, really, in a way. Like the second Death Star um, is going to be more functional <laughs> than the Nintendo Switch. It is. Make it's, of that it's, what it's, you will. Yep. Um, but yeah, we got to see it. We got to see. There's going to be sort of like themes on there, which are, which would be nice. Customize your your uh, UI. It's it's got very Nintendo esque um, so like sounds and looks very Nintendo. It's it's a Nintendo device. And that's what we learned. Yeah, I mean, it's pretty much, it's very, it's very broadly similar to sort of like when you start a 3DS for the first time, except it's much faster from yes. the looks of the video, which, which is nice. Um, I'll, t- I'll tell you what, actually, the, the, the best thing from that entire thing wasn't necessarily that we got to see the device. It was watching NeoGAF lose its just mind from the fact that some guy said, oh yeah, I've got a video, I'm uploading it now. And then they're going, yeah, right, whatever. And he goes, all right, it's at 14%. And then they were just like, oh my God, I think it might be real. And then he doesn't say anything for a good two hours. And everyone's <laughs> like, oh my God, what percentage is he at? <laughs> and then someone made the joke of the fact that in like a week's time, he's, he's going to come back and just put a post saying 37% just to troll us. Um, and um, yeah, like it was just the fact that there was just such a build-up, and then finally the video emerged, and the, they lost their minds again. It was uh, it was magical. So if you know, even if the UI was underwhelming to see, at least we had that moment on NeoGAF. I mean, but here's the thing: like as as a lapsed Nintendo fanboy, um, like I was watching that video, and I'm like, I, I, I was saying to you, I was saying this bizarrely is just making me 
crave this console again. Yeah. It's a really weird thing. But then, like, it, the reasoning was kind of like, but it's probably just because it's a gadget. Like, I, I just like the look of it. I like the idea. And we, and we've said this before, like, we love to see it succeed. We love the idea behind the Switch. Like, I, I, I think that more than anything else is the thing that, like, gets me excited. And, um, but I think if, were I to actually buy it, I'd not, you know, I just don't think I'd get the use of it out of it at this time for the 300 quid that I'd spend. Yeah, um, when you were saying that you, you fi- hardly have any time to play anything else. So if a new device came into the mix, what the hell would you do? Exactly. Like, exactly. It's just, just <laughs> not enough time. Um, but I mean, it, it, we're, we're approaching the March Madness, which means we're getting all the other games as well. So it's like, yeah. Oh, God. March. I think this is it. Like, like March. Mars is just going to be so crazy that it's difficult. It's the new November. It is. It's the, it is this year. <laughs> this year it is. I think it's a really interesting time. We've said this before. It's a really interesting time for Nintendo to be releasing this console. Like, I mean, Sony's got a big exclusive happening at pretty much the exact same time as this thing launches. So, you know, yep. as the Switch launches, there's going to be Horizon Zero Dawn giving you a reason to just keep playing your PS4. Um, obviously, Mass Effect. Near Automata's looking bonkers and crazy and oh, ridiculous. Oh, God, yeah. <laughs> but I mean, yeah, it, the, the Switch, it's it's still a strange one. It's still a strange one. and I'm, I'm still not convinced by it just yet. I, I am of the same same feeling it's it, again we've said this many times if there was more to it that if there were more must buy games other than zelda at launch even if i wasn't to only uh, if i was only to get one of them let's say but if there were more than one i would feel more justified buying it at launch yeah um but as i've said i'm gonna wait for the bundles to come out uh, later in the year i will say this though so previously like i was kind of like it doesn't really look particularly pocket sized but it's actually to see it in the hands like it's it's smaller than i thought it's um, it's only just bigger than the vita yeah from the looks of it which is i think is fantastic it's great i mean it's great i mean if sony aren't gonna give two flying proverbials about the vita like it's good to see <laughs> that nintendo have basically created their own in a way yeah. um so so that's nice i guess the only thing that worries me slightly is that the um you know, sharing the joy, whipping out those Joy Cons. <laughs> uh, they they look really, really fiddly. Like I've, I did say this, yeah. like back when it was announced, and the fact that your giant hands and those tiny little controllers—you're just going to be like, "What is this? A controller for ants <laughs> to harness my uh, in a Zoolander?" Like, that, I mean, the thing is, I'm built like a hobbit. It's fine. I will grab it, and it will be it will fit like a glove. But but you. Man. <laughs> I'll, I'll probably, well, we've already seen someone snap the little stand thing off. Like, I'm bound to break a Joy-Con at some point. Or, or just, you know, accidentally swallow it or something like that. Like, it's po- possible if you're playing 1-2 Switch. Like, <laughs> this is it, exactly. Like, you know, I'll be, I'll be deep throwing that massive Subway sandwich and accidentally Phrasing. just, 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 just actually eat it. Phrasing. Yeah. So. <laughs> One two switch and Nintendo Switch Watch. <laughs> switch Watch. Switch Watch. Um, uh. Moving on from Switch Watch, though, like there have, there have been some related news in terms of. So we found out mm. a little bit more about Breath of the Wild. It's getting a day one season pass, which is quite a relatively new thing for Nintendo. 
I was going to say, yeah, it's not new necessarily for the industry, but um, the fact that it's actually getting one is very different to the the way that Nintendo have approached games in the past. Um, it, it took a lot of people by surprise. Uh, whether that's uh, whether people have been justified in their uh, in their anger towards it is uh, up for debate, though. I mean, Matt, what's your feelings on the, the fact that it's going to have a, uh, a season pass? So. This uh, so this got posted on VG247, and I really like the first kind of comment on it, which is just, welcome back to modern day AAA development, Nintendo. <laughs> You've been gone a while. And it's kind of yep. like, like, in amongst all the bonkers, bizarre, ridiculous, nonsensical things around, like, the Wii U, it's really interesting that Nintendo just like, oh, we've never done that before, but everyone else seems to be doing it. Let's, let's do an expansion pass! Yeah! And I mean, it's the first of its kind for a mainline Zelda game. It's been priced around twenty quid, um, which I, here's the thing. Here's the thing. Whenever people announce these things before the game is even out, like you got to be skeptical because you have literally no idea what's going to be in there. And Nintendo has said, whenever you buy the pass, you'll receive three treasure treasure chests, one and one of which will contain a shirt for Link with the Nintendo Switch logo on it, <laughs> which. <laughs> Which is, which is like, hang on, if you're playing this, like, you've probably already bought the Switch. Do you really need to be advertising? No, 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 no. It no that, that'll be for Nintendo Wii players no, for, to remind them players, that they should yeah. be playing it on the better console. That's, or, or the, the console that's not dead. That's probably why. Um, which is, it's kind of sick, really. Um, apparently, apparently, yeah. the other, apparently the other two chests will contain quote-unquote useful items um, and there'll be two slices of DLC <laughs> as well uh, hard mode cave of trials challenge and some map features uh, but yeah. outside of that yeah, they haven't really mentioned anything and this is and this is the thing like we've said additional we've challenges they've yeah. said yeah we've been saying this for years like just, just don't 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 put down any money for anything like this until you know exactly what's inside and whether or not it's worth that that price. Um, Absolutely, but I think it makes sense. I think it makes sense for Nintendo. Like you need you need to give people reasons to come back to your games. And Nintendo, outside of kind of their their titles that have been deliberately geared towards you know multiplayer stuff, um, they haven't necessarily always been the best in terms of replayability. Um, no, no. no. But I, I think I think this makes perfect sense. And I think Zelda, like Zelda's a great IP to have additional content. And I know people like people are getting slightly cross, but I don't really get why. Yeah, it's it's a weird one, isn't it? Because on one hand, let's not forget that Nintendo games have always cost more than any other console, generally speaking. Like, we, we had that joke back in the day when uh, the DS, the, the the original DS, was still kind of king in terms of handhelds, and the fact that, like, Mario Kart and all the Mario games were still well over 30 quid, and we're like, they must, like, encase these games in gold or something like that for them to retain their value so well. Um and it's that's still going to be the case with the with the switch i feel and so it was it was never going to be necessarily cheap but i think the reason why people are getting more well getting angry about it and we'll get on to why it's unnecessary in a second is the fact that it's they know that they're a hardcore fan they're going to have to buy it and so it's another 20 quid on the 50 quid or 60 quid that they're going to be spending to get the game um and I can understand, you know, oh man, I'm paying £50, why do I pay another 20 Because Nintendo need to keep making money. 
This is why. Yeah. Uh, and the fact that it's optional as well. Like, you don't have to buy the hard mode. It is there if you want something extra for when you've beaten the game already. So if you want more from it, then you will get more if you pay the money. And if you don't, or if you want to move on to a different game, then don't buy it. So I think, I think, <laughs> so the hard Simply. mode, the, 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 I think the hard mode's a little bit cheeky. It's like, I mean, that, I think there's an argument to be a little bit cross about that. Like, why isn't that just included? Because it's not, it doesn't seem like extra content. Like, it's just like, it's going to add a hard yeah, mode. Yeah, it depends Great. on what they're doing with it. Like, if yeah. it's kind of like adding sort of like super duper bosses with new abilities and rock music. Um, that, that's fine. I have a feeling that's Pra-oh not. Oh my god! The case. Hard mode developed by Platinum. Uh, yeah, I have a strong feeling that's not going to be the case. <laughs> but it would be amazing it would if be it amazing. was. It would. Um, I also think that uh, in typical Nintendo fashion, they've they've screwed themselves here just with the timing of the announcement because it's so much more yes. palatable if you just say if if you save this announcement for launch. I think so. We've spoken in the past about day one DLC and the idea that. Um, you know, there's a team skimming stuff off the top. Uh, like Capcom have been guilty of this in the past. Um, but this, this concept that devs sometimes hold stuff back or publishers hold stuff back for DLC or cut it out of the main game. That's what people really, that's, that's what really gets people's goats. That's what people really, really don't like to see. You know, people, um, companies skimming off the top, basically skimming content off the top to have, well, to make more money. Um, Yes. That fails to take into account that games usually go gold, uh, a a few weeks at least before, before launch. Um, and it also fails to take into consideration that by and large, most of the development team will have finished a month or two ahead of launch. So, you know, there's, there's an opportunity for, other teams to sort of start working on extra content as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, but we really don't know what the case is here. And and to your point, I think I think the key the key point here is that it's optional. I think regarding the mode, uh, that's a little bit annoying. Um, but again, I think you've got to see the whole package. Like you can't make a judgment call on season passes or DLC until you've seen the whole package. And to be fair to Nintendo, the Mario Kart Eight one. The DLC for that, the season pass package for that was, was actually really good. Yeah. Really good. And they allowed for, um, and they gave people the choice. You know, you could buy the season pass, you could buy things individually, which I really, really hope they also do with this. Um, but we'll, we'll, we'll have to wait and see. Yeah. Plus, if you don't want to buy it, you're like, oh, hard mode, I'm paying for hard mode now, I'm not going to bother. Then here's my tip. Um, play through Zelda, um, with the weakest weapon in the game or, or with his fists. Or just, just punch everything to death. Yeah, or, bl- or there you go. Make your own hard mode. Save yourself the money and give yourself all of the prestige for beating it with a handicap. There we go. Exactly. That's our top tip for the week. Go out, buy a massive tub of Vaseline. Ooh. And then smear it all over your screen. <laughs> uh, and then it'll be really difficult to see. And, yeah. you know, avoid telegraphed enemy attacks. So that'll... That'll make it really difficult as well. So there are there are yeah. a whole bunch of kind of blue Peter esque homemade ways in which you Here's what I made earlier. Oh god, it's gross. Oh, oh. Yeah. it's gross. A bunch, a bunch of homemade ways in which you can make the difficulty harder. Like maybe put drawing pins on the sticks. Ooh. Or, like, or if any time Zelda gets hit, you'll you'll need a second person to do this, but they hit you with a newspaper. 
Like, <laughs> like you know, yeah. Yeah, hits you. So you take damage. You take damage in real life. Yes. That's... All of a sudden it becomes a death game. And it's... Uh... I fear that could get taken too far. Um... Fine then. How about a Nerf gun? Yeah, Nerf guns. Nerf guns Automatically good. set up so that when you get hit, it fires at you. Bring back and you've Nerf got different guns. Nerf guns. See, yeah, see, we're, we're giving Nerf a chance to sort of like get in here. Actually, no, no, so, no, to, be fair, to be fair, it shouldn't be a gun. It should be like a bow, really. Like, if, if we're sticking, okay, if we're sticking with Zelda and, like, you know, the, the sort of series, it should be a bow. Or maybe even a slingshot. Actually, I think Nerf do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But it would have to be different ones and it would have to also be lo- auto-loading. And if it was a big boss, you'd have to have... Do you remember the joke thing they did, which was the Nerf nuke? Yes. So, like, if a boss comes along and just stomps on you, the the, the Nerf gun fires a Nerf nuke at you and just... <laughs> the uh, the Nerf pellets just go everywhere and uh, ruins everything. So what we've done here... As it would in game. ...is we've actually created an amazing business partnership opportunity between Nintendo yep. and Nerf. So if, if reps from either company are listening, just, you know, get in touch, because our blue sky thinking is infallible and We always, will be the middlemen. ...always pays yeah. dividends. It does. We haven't had a single terrible idea yet. We haven't had a single failed business venture yet. That is true. That is 100% true. (laughs) Technically, none of our ideas have lost us money. Oh, yeah. I mean, mean, they also don't exist, but but that's... that's, that's, (laughs) So, yes, um, Zelda's getting a a day one season pass. Uh, Let us know what you think about that in the comments, because it's going to be interesting to see. Like, I, I do think... Based on some of the information that's come out, maybe there's a case to be a little bit, a little bit wary. Certainly, certainly wary. Um, yeah, but, but it's optional, so yeah. take it or leave it, folks. Take it or leave it. Um, yeah, hopefully Nintendo will make it an essential package. That well, yeah, or show that worth, it is going is to be the money. But yeah, don't, stop being vague. Definitely, definitely don't slap any money down until you know what you're getting that's mm-hmm. consumer operating 101 um so yeah there's been a little bit of a uh, another sort of zeldery tidbit this week um speaking with game informer zelda series producer uh ig anuma talked about the possibility that we might see a new 2d experience which could be quite cool because i mean a link between worlds was freaking rad i heard very good things i didn't play it but i heard very very good things uh, about it and people are still up for that kind of thing you know we've seen it with the roguelikes uh over the last few years on pc people love that 2d aesthetics so for, for zelda to go back to that uh, original design people are people lap it up absolutely i think as well like nintendo themselves i mean their online service a sort of game distribution as part of that paid service when it eventually fully launches, um, <laughs> yeah. is obviously trading a lot on, nast- on on nostalgia, on you know the gems of the past. But we see this on Steam all the time. We've seen it as actually as well on the kind of the indie digital store, sorry, the, the console digital stores as well with, with some indie titles. Yeah. You know, there's there are still a whole bunch of people out there who love retro flavored games, games that hark back to the glory days of, you know, the Genesis, the Mega Drive, the N60, sorry, um, the SNES, uh, you know, the, the heyday of, of Sega and Nintendo, you know, back when Sega was still making consoles and Nintendo <laughs> yeah. and Sega were locked in that mortal struggle for, for console supremacy. So I think, you know, Nintendo 
I, I think I think a new 2D Zelda would actually get lapped up. People would absolutely love it. It'd be interesting to see the pricing on it. Um, well, yeah, yeah. Because I don't uh, think it would come on 50 quid, but that's, again, again, that, that could be a really cool thing for Nintendo to do. It wouldn't necessarily cost a huge amount because you wouldn't be paying like shitloads for expensive 3D graphics. Um, and it could be a really nice way to both tap into that nostalgia while also creating something brand new. Which is basically what A Link Between Worlds did. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So if they can find that right balance, um, then 100%, I think that's a, a fantastic idea. Yeah, I mean, I guess it's just trying to... Because Nintendo liked to innovate, and you had that, um, that very sort of flat... Uh, some sort of mechanism in A Link Between Worlds where you became basically a wall, like wall art. Um, so yeah, it would take, it would take sort of an inventive mechanism to, to make that worthwhile. I don't think they just do a straight 2D world, but yeah. it could be interesting. And that, that again would provide a really, like a really good argument for actually getting it, like getting that console. Please give me more reasons to own this Nintendo. <laughs> please that's what we want that's what we want um moving on from the switch moving on from the switch we need to talk about another area where nintendo actually dominated last year mobile i mean they didn't really make any money off of it but niantic's pokemon go was very much the it was just a global phenomenon and now we're getting gen 2 pokemon yeah they're here they are finally here they're in game uh, I've caught, I've caught a few of them already, and um, yeah, it's, it's added some um, interesting things other than the the Pokemon themselves. Um, we've now got genders for uh, each of them now, so um, yes, I, I, I don't know whether that means that breeding will eventually be coming in as part of the next update, but um, yes, so we've now got uh, male and female Pikachu's and everything else. Um, we've also this is the other one. They've now added in the ability to properly customize your um, your avatar so that you can have different clothing. But of course, you have to spend the uh, the Pokemon coins to be able to buy interesting hats and things like that, which is uh, interesting because I know a few people who have had some of the things that they've picked um, taken away from them and put behind a paywall. Great, which. It's not cool, really. Um, but I mean, it's it's one way to encourage people to to spend, because people like to look awesome. They do. I, I actually don't mind. So I I really really don't mind when it comes to kind of mobile games that monetize customization, like cosmetics. Cos- I think yeah, is the, cos- yeah. cosmetic customization. Like I think I think that's okay, especially for something in a series as beloved as Pokemon. Yes. Um, like so, if you're going to take it seriously, then yeah, spend ten pounds worth on credit and then uh, get yourself a pimping hat. So my question is a lapsed Pokemon Go players because this is the thing. Mm. I think a lot of people got very, very um, invested in the game very early on. Yes, and like you know, it was it was the hype was rolling, it was snowballing, it it reached critical mass, um, and then I think once once the hype, once the sort of uh, the quick peak fell away. Um, I think one of the biggest criticisms of it was that it just wasn't a particularly good game. And, <laughs> that, and that was how it was at the beginning. Frankly. Yeah, and, and, yeah. And, and a lot of people kind of fell off. So my question as a last player, because I haven't gone back to it, but you just mentioned that yeah. you've been catching some Gen 2 stuff. Like, mm-hmm. is it worth coming back in? Um, 
No, not, not much has changed. <laughs> <laughs> Frankly, you, you've got the new Pokemon to catch. So if you're one of those people who is a completist, then yes, you, you'll want to get them again. But the game is still effectively the same, apart from a few things, such as the fact that you've got new berries um, that change the way in terms of trying to catch Pokemon. Some of them like dodge in complete different ways, so it's not that they jump up and down. Some of them sort of, like dart all over the screen now. But it's still the same game. Uh, they still haven't added in trading. They still haven't added in like the ability to do proper player versus player stuff. Um, and until they do, the, the, if if you weren't that impressed with it in the first place, there is no real reason to return. But I reckon they're going to wait until the weather has gotten better in <laughs> terms of the the, the Western Hemisphere. It's, it's true because the, the reason they've released it now is because the weather's getting better. More people are going out. And be yeah. able to, to to go out and walk around. It, it's it's the perfect time, really. Spring is is going to be approaching as soon. I mean, it's still freaking cold, but you know what I mean. Like, it's the weather is getting better. There's new Pokemon. People are going to be happy to walk around and do stuff, and therefore be encouraged to spend stuff on a new hat. Um, but in terms of actually dropping new gameplay elements, I reckon they will wait until summer at the very least, and then go, right, this is when people are definitely going to be about. We want people playing. Let's add in player versus player stuff, or trading. That's how they'll get people. At least that's how they should do it if they were smart. Well, that's what I was going to be my question. Like, is that what you think, you know... What, what it would it's take what to I get would do. Back. Whether they will do it is a completely different thing. But that, if they were smart enough, that's what they would do. They would strike again in the summer, which is what they did with them when they released it, and get people playing. Yeah, man, you just every, everywhere you went, just people playing Pokemon Go last summer. It was it was yeah. absolutely crazy. Just people with their faces buried in their phones, and obviously and being social to each other in parks. Like, when do you ever see that? Like in real life, I, I, so, miss, I miss those glorious times. Yeah. And that's the thing, like, I actually, I want to, I want to go back to it so much. I've tried, I've tried over the last few months, and I've just, I don't know whether it's just appearance rate, or the variety of Pokemon in my area, or, I just, I just haven't been able to sort of, it just hasn't grabbed me again. I mean, it doesn't help that, like, Sun and Moon are, are, are fantastic, and that I've been playing a hell of a lot of that, so... Inferior yeah, so Pokemon like, products don't quite stand up as well, I guess. Which is absolutely fine because I d- I wasn't able to get hold of um, Pokemon Moon or Sun, so I that I was Pokemon Go or nothing, really. <laughs> um, and 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 uh, to completely uh, follow on from your point, like I know a bunch of people who have stopped playing because of the fact that they they were just catching the same things or you know stuff wasn't turning up. So oh, damn Pidgeys. No, <laughs> it's it's the Zubat, more like Zubuts. Am I right? Hanging around, being giant asses. Um, see, see, it worked. I, I, I think I kind of, you know, rescued that one. I think. Anyway, um, yeah, like I completely understand. <laughs> Boo, Burns. Um, yeah, I, I completely understand people falling away from it because it wasn't a particularly good game. It still isn't. But if Niantic have been smart and have used the time that where they have been just un, what's the word I'm looking for? They should have been better in terms of their communication. They should have been either saying we're working on stuff or delivering stuff a bit more quicker. Just, you know, just little bits and pieces to make the game better. Um, because the radar is still awful. <laughs> uh, still just absolutely terrible. But yeah, I, I, we, we, we're going to see, aren't we? Like in terms of, I, I, I feel, well, I've said what I feel they should do, whether they will do it. Who knows? Who knows? One to keep an eye on. Mm-hmm. Um, 
Right, let's get away from Nintendo. We talked about Nintendo a lot. Let's move. Let's move on from Nintendo. Let's move to Sony. 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 Because Sony, Sony have done something this week. They've announced that they're discontinuing PlayStation Now on PS3, on Vita, and a number of TV models as well. And sort of by, I think it's mid-August, um, PS yes. Now users will no longer be able to access the service on yeah PS3, Vita, and PlayStation TV. Uh, as well as a whole bunch of Bravia models, Blu-ray players, Samsung TVs, and so on. Um, uh, in a bid, uh, they say, to essentially focus on PS4 and Windows PC. Um, I think this is a bit, I think this is a bit controversial, to be honest. Um, I would agree with you. Um, <laughs> It's, it's, I mean, the thing is, this is a huge, from what I've seen in the comments as well, a lot of people agree with what I'm about to say. It's a huge kick in the teeth to Vita owners. Like, they Sony are not doing anything really to push out new stuff on that. It's, it's always ports. There's not really new stuff unless it's kind of like third party JRPGs or basically uh, NIS America. Um, and it's such a shame because that there are some really good games on there, but nobody wants to develop big budget first party titles because, well, the audience isn't apparently there. It is if they just gave it a damn chance. Um, but the problem is, is that now that they're giving it less of a reason to exist. Like, I know a number of people who would use PlayStation Now on the Vita because it's a really good service. It allows them to play PlayStation 3 games on the Vita. Like that is a a really good draw. I mean, PlayStation Now as a service, um, I don't use it, but I've heard that it isn't particularly great as it is. But having that functionality to play PS3 games on the Vita or on PlayStation TV is great. And now they're getting rid of that, and it's like, well, now you've got these devices that are even more pointless. And I don't understand it at all. Well, I, I think so. Other than the fact that they're going to, yes, okay, it might cut costs in terms of maintaining it for those systems, but even so, I mean, it'd be interesting to find out how much those those costs actually were. But I think, yeah, I, I think from from an understanding standpoint, I mean, the install base for for Vita and for PlayStation TV, which was originally PlayStation Vita TV, <laughs> yes, um, are both tiny, and I mean, Sony have half-heartedly tried to boost the install base on from the tv standpoint at least by slashing the price massively trying to bundle it in with things um really really hyping up the the kind of ps4 remote play that you can do via it and obviously you can do that you know via the vita as well but i think i think i think this is just this is just the final nail in a coffin that they've been building for some time like when when they pulled final fantasy type zero and made that a PS4 release rather than because it was geared it was it was going to be geared towards Vita and they made that yeah. a PS4 release uh taking away another unique IP that could have been used really nicely to push that console I think that was that's that was another big thing like they they just they just yeah as as you said there aren't any updates for it there aren't any, there are barely any titles for it um and it's sad I think to us it's particularly sad because both you and I absolutely love that console. I, I love my Persona machine. It's great. Like, it's, it's basically all I play on it, the Persona. But it, again, like it, it, you can't. 
in a way, when you look at it from a analytical and a business point of view, you can't disagree with it, really. No. PS4 is where it's at. It is. But it's still really disheartening that they are turning their back on the people that put their faith in a device that had so much potential and just was never realised. Yeah, and I think it's doubly sad as well because, like, PlayStation now gives the Vita life to a certain extent. Um, you know, it turns it into a JRPG and retro console, basically. Yes. Um, but that's fine. If you're, and yes, I know, PlayStation now is not the most robust service out there. Uh, but it's still, it's still usable, just about. It's still playable. You can still have fun with it. And the USP of being able to play those games on the go is, really good <laughs> like it's it's something that people actively want unfortunately um yeah just sony haven't really provided other reasons for owning the console and i think i think it's just sad more than anything else it's understandable but it's it's it, it really is sad because the visa was something i think we all wanted to see succeed um not just because we all bought one <laughs> <laughs> yeah, not just because of that, but because we don't like seeing things fail. Exactly, really. exactly. We like gadgets. We like to see them win. Mm-hmm. Um, but hey, uh, what we're trying to say is that uh, if you are a PlayStation Now user that uh, primarily uses a Vita, enjoy the next six months while you can. <laughs> yeah, I mean, PlayStation Now as a service, though. I mean, we're, we're saying on this, but PlayStation Now as a service, and you said it previously, you don't use it. I have no interest in using it. It doesn't seem <laughs> No, I still have enough. a PlayStation 3. Yeah, it doesn't it just doesn't seem robust enough. I don't believe that the library is essential enough, really. It's it's on live all over again, frankly, as far as I've seen it. Like it's it, and, and there's the same reason that I haven't really bought into the Nvidia Shield now, like GeForce now, other subsidiary. That's that's it. Go, um, you know what I mean. Like it's the reason why I haven't bought into that because streaming uh, um, a high end machine is fine. It's that the internet service and infrastructure isn't there to really support it. That's the reason why I think these streaming services haven't really taken off as much as people would have liked them to. Um, so, I, I mean, at the end of the day, for me, the, the real moment that, uh, the Vita and the PlayStation TV will officially die is when Sony turned around and say, right, remote play is now, um, discontinued on those devices. That will be the moment. That will be the key moment that will just go, yes, right, that, you might as well just burn your device now. There's no point to it. <laughs> burn it. Because the thing is, there have been a few times where I have played uh, the Vita um, on remote play and and played stuff like um, the Kingdom Hearts HD 2.8, played that on my Vita, worked really, really well, and I have played a few other big titles on it as well. And it's like, it it still has its uses, but that will be the moment, I feel, that you can officially say the Vita is dead. At the moment, it is just like crawling along... (laughs) On it, like dragging itself by its hands, trying to find some form of safety. But um, uh, yeah, until that, till that moment, I think it will continue to do that. Yeah, it's pretty mortally wounded. Like it's, it's it bleeding is. everywhere. <laughs> shot, <laughs> shot many times by its own father, Sony. Yep. Um, 
I'm only doing this because I love you. <laughs> this is for your own good, Peter. It's like, Jesus Christ. Um, that got dark really quick. Uh, it did. Yeah. But yeah, like, it's, 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 it's just, I think it's just sad, really. It's, it's just sad. And you're right. Remote play, remote play is actually great. Aside from the fact, I mean, it only works for certain games because mapping R2 and L2 to the back pads don't necessarily, to the sort of touchpad on Vita doesn't necessarily yeah, work yeah. the best. Um, PlayStation TV is still a great little box for if you've got your PlayStation in one room, you've got two TVs in your house and you want a yeah. remote play box in another room. Like, it's still really good for that. Um, but, but yeah, I, I, I think, I think you're right. I think PlayStation Now is, the infrastructure just isn't there to make a valuable service right now. So, yeah, I'm not, I'm not too bothered by this move, but in a way that's just because like Sony have been ignoring the, <laughs> these, yeah. these bastard children of theirs for, for some time. It's, it's just completely unsurprising. I mean, yeah. I mean, from a personal perspective, yes, we, we don't really care, but I fully understand why people are annoyed. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because, oh, absolutely. Yeah. Um, uh, no, you don't want to see services taken away without any replacement. Um, yeah. And I think, yeah, people people are justifiably slightly cross about this. So, yeah. Boo, Sony. Boo. Boo. And... Right. It's time. It's time for our, for our, for our regular segment. It's time to play Is This News? And if you're new to the show, this is where, you know, I've plucked out a few headlines from the week. I'm going to pitch them to Carl and ask Hello. him if they are in fact news. And the first one comes from a very, a very well established, you know, national broadcaster. Ooh. The BBC, no less. Ooh. A bastion of fine journalism and epic reporting, probably. Um, <laughs> and, and the headline reads, Valve comfortable if virtual reality headsets fail. Is this news? Ooh, but that is a damning headline. Like, that really says to me that, um, Valve don't really care about VR or you. Basically, I mean, to be fair, it's, I think it's fairly accurate when you think about it, because think about how much money Valve have. Like, if this whole venture went down, they'd be just like, yeah, well, you know, we're just going to keep rolling around in money anyway, so. <laughs> yeah, so if, every, if but, everything I mean, went south, like, they'd be fine. Yeah. yeah. The Gaben would still be praised. The Gaben would still be praised. So, so this one's this one's a bit weird because yeah, I agree that that headline sounds like complete news. Mm. But it comes from an interview with Polygon and within context, like here's here's the full quote. Like he was asked about VR, Gabriel was asked about VR, and he was like, "We're optimistic. Mm. We think VR is going great. It's going in a way that's consistent with our expectations." We're also pretty comfortable with the idea that it will turn out to be a complete failure. If you don't try things that don't fail, you probably aren't trying to do anything very interesting, so we hope that we'll find stuff that gamers will say is awesome and is a huge leap forward. So that's the full quote. Is it still, is, is the BBC, is the BBC headline still news? Uh, it's amazing what context <laughs> does, isn't it? Like, all of a sudden it just makes the BBC look like complete dicks. I mean, it's, it's just such. <laughs> It's <laughs> such a huge turnaround, isn't it? Like, it, 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 all of a sudden, it goes from being a reasonable assessment of how they should approach VR and the fact that, as I said earlier, they have all the money um, and are willing to do experimental things. And 
being tur- basically turning that into yeah we don't care what up yeah we don't care if it fails we don't care if it all implodes like that isn't what he was putting across at all it was like you have to take risks like if you don't <laughs> take the risks you're you're not even going to create some you're not going to be able to create anything good and the BBC have just completely turned that on its head it, so it's staggering no. it's staggering isn't it like so so early earlier in the interview like um, Polygon are talking about. Uh, the 1300 VR apps on Steam, um, but that, you know, a lot of apps are making seriously in- insignificant revenues and, and sort of that sort of things. But I think, I think, I think, the, I think the real story here is, is that it's not Valve says they're comfortable with the idea of VR failing. It's just like Valve don't put all their eggs in one basket, which is not yeah. news. <laughs> it's just, it isn't news. It's just, oh, beep, beep, what are you doing? Like, they double down on it as well, because, like, the first sentence, the first sentence of the, of the article is, VR headset developer Valve is comfortable with the idea that the technology could turn out to be a complete failure. And it's just like, oh, come on. <laughs> come, <sighs> come on. It's just like, oh, God. As if, as if it's suggesting that even, even the most pioneering minds behind this, this sort of VR movement are comfortable with the well, think think that it's going to be a complete failure, which is actually not what's not, at all. It's, it's, it's not, not it's not what Newell is saying just... at all. Uh, <sighs> and then, I mean, later on in the article, people do say, you know, Mister Newell said so far, interest in the technology was in line with expectations. But come on, like we're calling. Come on, BBC, you're you're better than this clickbait bullshit. Come on, you can you can do this. I believe in you. <laughs> Yes, do better next time. Yes, right. Jesus Christ, show you working out. No, so yes. Uh, initially, looks like news. Unfortunately, no. Agreed? Boo. I, 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 I fully agree. No. Right. It gets a no from me. Not news. Not news. Fake, false news. False news-ish. Boo. Okay, so second, second, second headline comes from... Um, the Microsoft blog, and it's a quote from Phil Spencer, mm. 2017 is going to be an incredible year for Xbox One and Windows 10 gamers. Is this news? Well, I mean, first of all, it's coming from Microsoft's blog. <laughs> so, <laughs> I, I mean, I, I, I fully respect the the journalistic integrity of the Microsoft blog. I mean, it's not like they try and sell their own products above anything else. They'd be impartial in everything that they say. But also, this is what Phil says every single goddamn year. Every like, single year. Every single year. This is the greatest lineup in Xbox history. This is the best lineup in Xbox history. You will never see anything better than what we're showing you right here in 2015. <laughs> Yeah, no, at this point, Phil, just calm down. Like, at at this point, unless Project Scorpio is just the the best thing ever and does something that we've never seen in a games console, and I'm not talking about the fact that it's able to output 4K visuals comfortably and everything else, unless it does something monumentally game-changing, there will be no reason to buy a new Xbox. Like, I mean, I've said this already about the fact that I don't want to get an Xbox One because of all the Play Everywhere initiatives that they're doing on most games and the fact that I can get it on PC. Uh, Crackdown coming to PC. Gears of War already on PC. 
Sea of Thieves coming to PC. Like, all of the big games are coming to PC, with the except, like, Halo is the only one that they are not going to release um, in terms of the Play Everywhere initiative. And as far as I'm concerned, it didn't review that well. There is no reason to buy an Xbox One. So unless they can show that there's a reason to, then please stop saying that it's going to be the greatest lineup in Xbox history. I mean, for God's sakes, we had to see Scalebound be cancelled earlier this year. Like, come on. I know. Uh, the, 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 his, his wider post as well, it's not that impressive. It starts with Halo Wars 2, then goes into Sea of Thieves, which is the... It might be... Maybe good. It might be interesting, but again, cross-play. The, the, the sort of pirate game from, from Rare. Then there's, yeah. Then you mentioned State of Decay 2. Mm. Again, that'll be on PC. And Crackdown 3, which, which we know is going to come to Windows as well. So right yeah. now, it looks like it's a, it's a great, great year for Windows. Um. Yes. <laughs> great, great year if you're a PC gamer. It's right if you're an Xbox gamer. I, I still don't think that lineup's particularly great when you compare it with, with years gone by, especially without Scalebound now. And it comes down yeah. to it, as you say, uh, Project Scorpio. Is it going to be good? Yeah, I mean, we do know that it is, it is still on course to be released at the end of this year. And to quote Phil, preparing to launch the most powerful console ever made, but without games... Yeah, that's going to be, up gonna be the important one. Yeah. So, okay. Back. And it's also, um, just to quickly um, go on that, they've also got to make sure that they do not alienate the existing Xbox One um, community. That's right, because it's, if it's not do, an old console. No. It's, and this is the thing, like, um, Sony have had to be very careful to ensure that, you know, PS4 Pro offers a lot of new things in terms of improved graphics and everything, but they have not left behind their old clientele on the PS4 original or the Slim. So, m- Xbox have got to be super careful because if they do launch a new console, they have not only got to, got, uh, got to have a new lineup that will support it, but that they don't leave their old customers behind. Yeah. Like, not this soon. Not this soon. Splintering your audience is just not a good idea at no. all. Um, and I fear as well, like they, they've got to, they've got to bring the exclusives for Scorpio and they've got to hit hard with some really big hitters. If that console is going to make a dent this holiday, because, yep. because yeah, it's, it's, it's going to be, it's going to be really interesting to see. Um, I mean, e- even at this point, uh, they can't guarantee that Halo will do it because Halo Five was not as good as it should have been. Halo Five was really disappointing. Like I've, I mean, I've still not played like the whole thing, but uh, it just, it just. I mean, four, it did, it four was it did, good, it did, but it, did it wasn't three. Where, it did not get me where like previous previous Halos had got me. Yeah, I mean, th- this is my point. Like Halo Four was good, but it wasn't Halo Three. Uh, even though we did have fun, sort of like messing about in uh, Spartan Ops. Well, that's it, like but, <laughs> with crimson, like, like, with the crimson in the crimson. I wasn't, um, I wasn't, I wasn't, I was less convinced by five than I was by four. Um, and that's exactly my point. That was I was going to get to the fact that it didn't match up to four, which says a lot. Yeah. So getting back to the original question, is this, yes. is this is news? It news? No. <laughs> Sorry, Phil. 
<laughs> Sorry, Phil, Sorry, but Phil. Um, how about we see it before you... T- like, if he was to not say and just go, we've got some cool stuff, we hope you're looking forward to E3, and then at the end of it go, this is why it's the greatest year in Xbox history if they deliver on that promise, then I'd be like, Phil, finally, finally, I will believe everything you say. Finally, Phil. But until then... Tell me where I can sh- get that shirt you're wearing. Yes, yeah. but until then... Calm down, Phil. Calm. Calm down. Calm down. Cool. Okay, so, so we're zero for two on, on Is This News. Yeah. Right. Last one comes from Game Skinny. Getting the skinny on games. Oh, yes. Metacritic demands exclusive quotes from non-English publications. So this is the thing where Open Critic, the, the kind of, well, more open <laughs> critic aggregation As site, the name suggests. Uh, yeah. Have essentially issued a press release sort of earlier this week uh damning metacritic for trying to um make english translations of uh non-english reviews exclusive to metacritic and thereby you know restricting kind of essentially freedom of content um Mm. and potentially putting putting a bit of a crimp in open critics uh progress and, and growth is this news uh, it was me thinking that we were going to have ourselves a straight set of no's, but I think this is news. Um, and on the back, I think we should kind of like put a disclaimer here before we, we start this, admittingly, that um, both Matt and myself are on Open Critic. Um, we, we've been on there for a long time. We've actually been there since the days of Dealspone, actually, uh, when they were sort of like, yes, yeah, we like reviews. We're going to put you on there. Um, and we've continued to be on there. We still put in uh, interviews, reviews up on there through the, the contributor program. Um, but uh, with, in terms of Metacritic, we, we had a bit of a interesting relationship with them in terms of trying to get on there with, with Dealspone. Um, but getting back onto the topic at hand... Now that you know this, um, I personally think, even if you take all of that away, that having it so that you are taking a translation of someone's article and saying that is exclusively ours, no, it's belong, the, the actual review belongs exclusively to the person that wrote it. If you want to take a quote, the, a quote cannot be made exclusive at all. And I think the fact that they're turning around to um, foreign publications, some of which, and, you know, I'm, I'm not to be too mean, but they may not necessarily find that if English isn't their first language, they may find the wording um, confusing or whatever. For them to turn around and say, oh, yes, it has to be exclusive to us, it, I think is just absolutely poor form absolutely uncalled for and just ridiculous. And I don't understand how they think they're going to be able to get away with it or enforce it. It, it it just make it just oh, it it really angers me to a point. It's a really curious thing because this is the thing. Metacritic um, Metacritic has always been quite secretive about uh, about everything really about its algorithms, yeah. about its inclusion processes. Um, back when we were at Dillspoon, it all ran through one guy, mm. um, and the criteria for kind of getting included wasn't specified it was very vague uh, by contrast game rankings for example they have a very very clear set of bullet points uh and for, as regards open critic um certainly for the contributor program they have uh again 
a set of guidelines that you have to full that you have to have fulfilled before you can even kind of be considered necessarily, and then you enter into an yeah. open dialogue. Um, but Metacritic, yeah, Metacritic has has always been very very vague, uh, and the industry reliance on Metacritic, the the fact that we have, you know, like bonuses for studios baked into yeah. like cumulative meta scores is is or rather sorry aggregated meta scores is really kind of dubious i like this purely because it looks like serious competition this looks like a dick move from metacritic oh, to absolutely. block serious competition and that's it's, it's not the first time either uh, i just want to make the point this is also in the uh, the press release um, from OpenCritic, the fact that they were caught, well, Metacritic were caught out last year, um, using OpenCritic's listings, um, to add links to their own, um, system. Yeah. Uh, basically, um, OpenCritic have a very unique way of, um, kind of like, uh, capitalizing certain bits in links so that they know if people have taken their, like, basically just copied and pasted the link directly from their site. Um, because they can basically do a search for that specific string and it will get picked up. And Metacritic had. They hadn't altered anything. They just basically just copied and pasted the link direct from OpenCritic. And that just showed that uh, they think that OpenCritic, in terms of games, is a better system and that they've got it down. Um, and OpenCritic did respond basically saying, you know, we think it's terrible. We've told them that they need to take it down. And OpenCritic openly ignored them. This latest move to say, oh, in terms of games, it, it, foreign uh, publications must provide exclusive translations for us, I think is again showing that they feel threatened because, of course, Open Critic in the last couple of months have opened up their doors to foreign publications. Well, n- sorry, non-speaking, English-speaking publications. Yeah. So, yes, this is clearly uh, a move of them feeling threatened and it, I personally think if the industry had any backbone, they'd turn around and go, well, fine, I don't really care. I don't care about Metacritic. I don't think that these systems particularly that great. I think that it's, it's just not particularly well laid out or anything else. The fact that you can't do half the stuff you can on OpenCritic and the fact that you can remove publications you don't like, I love that. Because there are certain publications that I just think that in terms of their reviews, I, I don't agree with anything they say. Um, which is fine because it's all opinion. And so when I want to make an opinion, I want to have a, sort of like a, a more balanced thing. So I just remove the ones that I think are idiots. That's fine. It's my personal taste. It's my personal choice. So in that regard, Open Critic seems the better thing. And it, I think Metacritic are finally starting to see that. Yeah. So, I mean, one of the advantages of Open Critic, as you say, is so one, their practices are more transparent than Metacritic's. Uh, it's, it's all in the name open uh yep and two as you say even when you're presented with that large pool of um kind of elite publications and then contributors as well you can basically create your own uh your own kind of review playlists out of your favorite sites and favorite critics and customize the entire experience to suit you know the people you respect the people you like and and all that jazz. So you will, yeah, you'll invariably have like you know the the total thing on on the game pages, but then you can make your own kind of favorites list um, from from the pool of critics there. I absolutely love that. But 
for this, I, I think it's unfortunate news, but I, I, I agree. I do think this is, I do think this is slightly news. Um, if only because it, it shows that it shows Metacritic worried and, and, yeah. and they should be. I think I would like to see them open up and become a little bit more transparent with their systems. Um, I think they've been complacent for a long time. Metacritic hasn't really evolved, hasn't really changed. And this is why Open Critic started and was crowdfunded in the first place to give people, um, an opportunity or to give people an aggregation hub, uh, for quality criticism that was customizable and personalizable to, to people's tastes, uh, but also to provide something a little bit more open, a little bit more transparent. And that helps everyone, I think. It helps critics. Yeah. It helps sites. It helps developers and publishers as well. The fact that you are also in control of um, your scoring system in relation to the site, which is something that Metacritic hasn't done in the past. Yes, absolutely. Uh, is crucial. So you have complete control over how your reviews are basically interpreted by Open Critics algorithms and, and aggregation kind of tools, um, and yeah. So, so I love this from from a from a competition standpoint. I think it's a little bit unfortunate that Metacritic are doing this rather than looking to improve their own service. Um, yes, but it's definitely going to be interesting to see how this develops. It's, it's certainly going to be interesting to see. Uh, yeah, what Metacritic try and do next, basically. Like, mm-hmm. are they going to improve or are they going to continue kind of, um, I mean, the thing is that ult- position? Yeah, I mean, ultimately, this is just one of the things that, um, Metacritic look at. I mean, it's, it's not just games. They do films. They do music. It's, 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 if the whole games thing kind of like goes above them, that they'll still have other things to use. Um, but at the same time, the games industry is such a big industry in itself that they won't want to see it go. And the fact that everybody using it, using it as kind of like the, the standard in which to measure success in terms from a uh, publisher or corporate standpoint, that they won't want that to be let go either. Um, but you're right. If they were smart about it, they'd come up with reasons why people should use the system as opposed to almost kind of like threaten people. It's just like it's yeah, Ugh, stupid. Just just stupid. Just stupid. But it is stupid. news. So it is. We, we came out of this week's edition of Is This News with with one with one out of three. One out of three. I mean, it it which uh, I, I honestly thought we were going to have a clean sweep this week. I, I felt it's like oh, it's going to be it's going to be no news this week. But uh, no, pulled it back. Pulled it back. Right. I think we've just got just got time for. A weekly despair. Why is this a thing? Um, <laughs> oh, take us through this week's one, Carl. Because, yeah. Yeah, let's... <laughs> now, <sighs> let me just take a deep breath. Um, Apocalypse Now, the infamous film, uh, was recently given a, a Kickstarter that some people wanted to make a, a game version of it that would be deeply psychological um is in their own words uh, and effectively they wanted $900,000 to make this game that would match up to this uh, this epic film and um after 3 weeks it only amassed $173,000 now the main reason for this is that they didn't really show anything in the kickstarter campaign at all nothing in the video no real screenshots no real gameplay it was just them basically saying this is what we want to make 
Kind of taking the, I don't know, the, the, the double fine approach, but without the proven track record of being able to make games behind it. Um, anyway, since then, they've decided, right, well, you know, the Kickstarter's finished. Um, so um, what they've done instead is that they've now created the website apocalypsenow.com. And what they've done is that they've set up their own crowdfunding setup on there and are now looking to raise instead of the ninety thousand dollars that they they couldn't even amass um the uh oh well they got twenty percent of that total they've decided that they're going to go with a far more realistic total of five million dollars <sighs> like i mean some people would get the hint that you know maybe that oh, perhaps the project is good enough perhaps we should come back with um with a more substantial pitch, perhaps we should show really what we're going for. This is this is what, even if it's just a small taste, it's like, this is the sort of thing we want to go for. Perhaps even have a small playable thing where you could just walk around the environment, much like with um, System Shock, the the remake that's being made. Like They did that small taster during their Kickstarter campaign. It's like, this is what we're aiming for. If they'd have done that, maybe. But the fact that they, they've decided, well, yeah, we, we, we didn't even get the $900,000. Let's ask for $500 million on a platform where we just take the money and not have to worry. So, yeah, the, the problem with this is, so actually, the, I'm on the website right now, and the total, uh, the, the goal is actually $5.9 million. Um Great. So it's so it's the initial nine hundred thousand plus the extra five million that they say we, we can, <laughs> yeah. so we can make this a really great game. Uh, this so, so they've actually beaten their Kickstarter goal uh, according to the number on the website. Um, but yeah, but it's, finally. But but it's the non but it's the non guarantee, and and this is this is the difficult thing. So if you if you are doing a Kickstarter project, you will only get the money if your project is fully funded. And if it's not fully funded, then everyone gets their money back, basically. Here, there is no indication of, of that. And moreover, no. Kickstarter, Kickstarter pledges tend to, or rather Kickstarter runs tend to last somewhere between one and three months. This is, this, this says it has 455 days remaining. Like, there is a strong possibility, a very, a very strong possibility, not just because of this project, but because of, you know, the nature of game development, that this thing never actually sees the light of day. That is a long time to have your money kind of just up in the air. It is the biggest gamble I have seen in terms of uh, what you could go for in terms of a... Uh a Kickstarter campaign, even greater than something that I did back myself, but I realise is a huge gamble. Um, the uh, MMORPG Chronicles of Illyria. Now that is that was ambitious, even for its two million dollars that it did amass. Um, and whether it will actually see the light of day, even I'm a little skeptical. Skeptical, but I believe in the idea that they were going for this. At least with uh, sorry, at least with Chronicles of Illyria, they showed off the technology behind it, what they're aiming for. This, they've shown nothing, and they still want... They still want... this nearly $6 million in total. Like... Oh, just... Oh, God, why? Why? It's just... It's quite strange. Why? And the lowest tier you can pledge at is $25. And it, they, they go up to some astronomical numbers. Like... Very quickly, yeah. Like, the, the top one... The top one is a million... Like, 
They've got, they've got pledge tiers of a million, 100k, 50k, 25k, 10k, 5k, and then you start getting down into the slightly slightly lower numbers. But this this seems like madness. And they don't they don't have assets. They don't have a plan right now. They do have props that you can get as part of your pledge, though. Well, so, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Isn't that yeah, great? The estimated delivery on that is like, is the end of 2020. <laughs> yeah. I mean, to be fair. Because, well, planning a heist takes time, you know, so they've got to break into the lot and get all the, all the props <sighs> and stuff. So that's what they're using their money for. They're actually taking the pledge money to do a heist to get the props. And uh, then said so that that isn't. I'm not saying that's exactly what they're doing, but it's it, it could be. <laughs> we don't know because we didn't see anything in the Kickstarter freaking campaign. It's very strange, and yet it must be officially backed somehow because they've some for them to really believe that this could happen. Yeah, there's got to be some kind of angel uh, investment somewhere. Well, I mean, just just in terms of like like the the franchise copyright. I mean, they're using official assets. Very true, yes. They're using official assets. They have a link to the official Apocalypse Now Facebook page. So, you know, there's an audience there potentially to be leveraged, but it's very difficult to do that. And we've said this in the past when we talked about Kickstarter. Most of the projects on there are not literally starting at the beginning. Like, most of them have, no. at the very least, concept art, plans, things sketched out. They know what form the game is going to take. More successfully now, you have companies essentially just using Kickstarter for marketing purposes because they've done 70, 80, 90% of the work up to this point. Uh, and it's really just now sort of promotion gauging interest, that side of things. This is, this is, this is, this doesn't exist. <laughs> No, and it won't exist for another 455 days, in theory, because if their end goal is $5,900,000, and we've got to wait until then to see whether it does actually get the money it needs, then the development won't start until then. Why is this a thing? Exactly. Why is this a thing? I, I don't understand it. I don't understand how they think that this is going to happen. Uh, to be fair, like unless like, by some miracle that you know some money appears, I just don't understand. From, I really don't. I guess, like from from my perspective, it's just kind of like, look, you failed on Kickstarter for a reason. The remedy to that is not to set up a whole bunch of like like a new alternative crowdfunding website. <laughs> like that's that's not how you do it. Like to take to take Star Citizen as a slightly better example. So you have Star Citizen, which admittedly is still not out yet. However, it was successful. They showed assets. Well, yeah. well, first and foremost, let's let's not forget it was massively successful on Kickstarter. Yes, and that's when they then went, okay, cool, we've really, really got something here. Let's try and capitalize on this momentum and keep it going. That's when they set up the separate crowdfunding site because they made no, it would make no sense to do another Kickstarter. You might as well just, you know, yeah. continue with that momentum, use it, use it, fuel it, create more stretch goals. And they, and they have done. They, they still are doing it to, so, yeah. to a point. So, like, whether, like, that, that game will probably come out eventually one day. But, yes, but on the flip side, <laughs> the, thing, the thing, the thing is, the, the point there is, is that, you know, their proof of concept was born out using Kickstarter, using, like, the security, the fail-safes on there. People clearly, 
clearly wanted that enough. <laughs> From day one, whereas this... This is dubious. This, I find this, I find this highly dubious. And their numbers are completely ridiculous. To go from 900,000 mm-hmm. to 5 million? Why is this a thing? Why is this a thing? I think, I think in theory that they had someone who was a angel developer and basically said, right, if you can get 900,000 pounds worth of pre-orders, I will give you the money because clearly the audience will be there and we will make the money back that's what i think has uh, was happening and when the kickstarter founder was like right run your own and so the person who originally set up the kickstarter was like you know what screw him we'll just get all the money and then we won't need him we'll show him and now this is what we're left with just absolute madness much like apocalypse now yeah so i mean why is this a thing because uh Oh god, my main my brain is melting. So, I can't even I, say I words say, anymore. There is one thing this game has going for it, and that's that Josh Sawyer, who is the design director at Obsidian and basically headed up Pillars of Eternity, um, mm. and is a lovely guy. I've been for a pint with him. He's 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 just a fantastic person to talk to. If you're if, if you're if you're in any way kind of interested in, in, <laughs> in RPGs, like he is, he's just a dude. He's he's fantastic. He's he's operating in an advisory capacity apparently in the area of gameplay design. That's great. And 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 Josh is, is fantastic. It would be nice before slapping down any more money though to like have a little look at what the hell this is even going to entail because yep. Yeah, I nah, <laughs> just nah, no, nah, nah. It's a th- it's a thing that I do not want to be associated or a part of. No, no. Good day. No. And on that good note, day. and on that note, I feel <laughs> I feel we've reached the end of the end of this cast. Thank you so much for listening, everyone. Let us know um, what you have made of all of these topics and subjects today. And we'll catch you same time next week for more Game Buzz. Bees. Bye. (laughs) Bees. Bye. Bees. Buzz, 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 buzz.